Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Projected Opinions Podcast, the best movie podcast, and under about the time it takes to commute to work, my name is Matt Noble. And I'm Nathan Payne. And this week, we're going to bring you a review of Bad Times at the El Royale. First time at the El Royale? You have the option to stay in either California or Nevada. I always want to stay in the honeymoon suite, even though I'm not currently on my honeymoon. <laughs> what are you doing out here? I got a job singing in Reno tomorrow. Don't pay nothing, but uh, singing, singing. <laughs> this is not a place for a priest, Father. You shouldn't be here. It's a little too quiet in here. It gives me the willies. And that's from the trailer of Bad Times at the El Royale. Uh, before we jump into things, let's go ahead. For those of you who are listening on the podcast, uh, Nathan's got to take off here shortly. So we're going to kind of move things into a different format to make them faster. I'm going to go ahead and read the IMDb description of Bad Times so that we can kind of know where we're at and uh, how this movie was pitched uh, from IMDb. Circa 1968, several strangers, most with a secret to bury, meet by chance at Lake Tahoe's El Royale, a rundown hotel with a dark past. Over the course of one night, everyone will show their true colors before everything goes to hell. So Nathan, in about a minute, was this an accurate depiction? Did you like it? Out of, out of 10, what would you rate this movie? Probably like... or an 8. I really liked it. Um, It is a dark movie. This is... That description is correct. Everything does go to hell. And if you're a fan of... I guess... Tarantino has been used to describe this type of film. And I'll debrief that a little bit later. But that type of movie, it's not as gory and it doesn't take pleasure in the gore as much as tarantino i think um there's not as much but the moments are startling and they are all over the movie um but i think it was done very well i enjoyed the ride um and i did not see everything coming uh likewise i think i gave an eight out of ten um that being said it is like Nathan alluded to, really dark at times. Uh, This is not my mother's kind of film. So, Mom, if you are listening, do not go and see this film. Nope. Uh, I remember reading uh, a a post by Alyssa Wilkinson, one of my favorite film critics, uh, who I believe ended up seeing, what was it, Wolf of Wall Street? Gave it a good review saying this is a great film as far as technical and like story and acting, da 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 but do not go see it. And some mom only saw her like four out of five star review rating and went and took her kid to see it. But that's why you read the entirety of the reviews. Um, so, this film is good, uh, but it is rough. And I would say it is very Tarantino-esque, David Fincherette sometimes, like a very much like an ominous foreboding, we are going to inevitably end up at the worst place possible, Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh no, it's going to happen, and it does, Uh, but maybe even worse, depending on how imaginative you are. 
I did enjoy it. Uh, I also felt like I needed to go watch something happy afterwards. So, yeah. Let's just jump right into spoilers. Uh, if, if this is your type of film, then we assume that you have seen it already or are going to see it. If you are going to see it, please do don't hold spoiled. us liable for what you may be about to hear. Yeah, like, <laughs> this is a good story. It's original and fun if yeah, if this is your thing, like do yourself the favor and see it first. Like don't don't spoil this because it's much more interesting to have no clue what's about to happen. Right. I think. Yeah, so let's go ahead and jump into spoilers right now. <sighs> I thought all the actors were ridiculously good. Oh yeah. Uh, the only thing about the acting that I was sad about is there were some people that didn't get enough time. I think that Which is I would crazy, have loved to this see is a more. long film. This is a two hour, 20 minute. Life. And it, I did feel that it was long, but I didn't feel like it was that long. I've sat through movies that are in the two hour, 20 minute range. And I've, I've just wanted to leave. Dude, before. predator was less than two hours and I was, and like, it felt longer. <laughs> so, uh, you know, not bad for a long film, but there's a lot of stuff in there, but there's a couple characters, uh, specifically John ham. Yep. His character was, you know, not, not the most likable and kind of i thought he was the most likable. well okay i thought that's why they had to kill him so quickly in today's climate the way that he leads out with his relationship to the other characters paints him as a very not so great person which is of the era and his place in it or he might be playing a character right we never know if that's his actual personality or he was so heavy-handed with his salesman identity that he's playing that it felt very I don't know, but anyway, I'm a huge fan of John Hamm, and so when he went out first like a chump, I was sad. Me too. But I thought, when it did that, and I think this is what most people probably thought was, anything could happen in this movie. Like, they they went out with probably one of the most recognized Mm -hmm. actors, besides maybe Chris Hemsworth, who doesn't come in much until much later in the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you... Acts one of your most recognizable characters, I think. Like right. any, anything no, and that's, up in the air. Hitchcock did that in Psycho. He cast the most recognizable name he could get, and then he killed Sorry. her in the very beginning. Yeah. And then he was like, "Ha ha! What are you going to do now?" And yeah. I think it. I think it works. Um, and to be fair, I thought it was going to spoiler alerts for Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen Psycho, it came out in 1960. So I have no mercy. For that. Caitlin hasn't seen it, so. Well, sorry, Caitlin. <laughs> it's Halloween time. But I actually thought the movie was going to go far darker than it did. At I times, thought there was only going to be one person standing. And to have. Any. I, was, I, I, was, I figured, I I figured there was going to be one person. And I was hoping that it was going to be um, Darlene. Or. Okay. Yeah. I was hoping it was going to be her. Because. It as I started watching all of the different sections, and I love how they, I love the Tarantino esque editing style that he used like chapter markers. Yep, and it it made perfect it really sense, helped. and it was amazing because if you didn't have those markers in there, when you jump backwards in the timeline, it would have been a little bit confusing because he doesn't strictly state to only what they can see necessarily. Right. He kind of tells you like a bit of backstory and some other stuff, so it was very helpful. Um, as we were jumping around and I started to form opinions on these people, which, of course, 
I'm forming opinions and I'm also in the back of my head, I'm going, he's not telling me things just in case. So like, I'm probably going to have, you know, some different thoughts when the movie ended, but hers never changed in my opinion. Yes. Like I, I kind of knew that she was supposed to be a sympathetic character with the beginning with her relationship with John Hamm. And you're kind of like, I'm sorry that this is happening. And then you never really get rid of that. Like you always kind of feel like she's the most innocent one she, in the she group. She definitely is. And you're just like, oh, please, please let her out. <laughs> like, let her be the one to make it. Spoilers, she does. But I did not actually expect um, Jeff, Bridges. Jeff Bridges to make it out. Neither did I. And I'm okay with it, kind of. Because he had his own death sentence in a way, and I don't know yep. if it was any better that he made it out, except for yep. he got the small blessing of being able to see her sing and, you know, mm-hmm. put that money to good use, I suppose. Um, that um, opening sequence uh, was amazing. <laughs> and that's the... That's the other actor that I was super sad about. Is yeah. Nick Offerman basically has what amounts to a cameo in this movie. It's true. Even though he's on the poster and in all the trailers, he's listed with everybody else. Yep. Um, and even in the trailers and in the poster, he's not actually there. Man, I would have rather them not shown Chris Hemsworth in the trailers. I know that's impossible because he's such a big headliner. Right. No, but if that but like, if he if had it, shown up. Yeah. And you hadn't known, you would have been like, hey, re- right? No, what voice is he doing? Yeah. Like that's that was one of the weird things. Was his voice was so so crazy? So here's the deal. Uh, I saw his name in all of the uh-huh. advertising, and I every time he was on screen, I was like, is that Chris Pine? Like I know it's one of the Chris's, and it's supposed to be Chris Hemsworth. But the way he's talking and the way his hair looks, he just looks like a Chris Pine right now. I can uh, see the voice, yeah. Yeah, like Chris Pine has done kind of American accents. Uh, Chris Hemsworth obviously does one for Thor-ish. He's kind of American sometimes. He's definitely not full-out Australian. No, he does kind of a quasi-British accent for Thor. This kind of semi-Scandinavian American something. Eh. Yeah. yeah, who knows what it is. Anyhow. Uh, it's Asgardian, duh. <laughs> it's Asgardian. Um, let me... Golly. Uh, so, things that I, I liked about... Mm-hmm. So, we've talked about the acting. It's superb. No one Phenomenal. does a bad job. Um, let's talk about the story briefly. Uh, we've talked a little bit about it. Um, the style of storytelling, which uses the chapters and everything like that. That is usually... A Tarantino thing, and then other people rip it off. This I thought was finally like. I didn't feel makes... like it was a rip off. Yeah, I felt like the story sense. actually needed it. Yep. Uh, things that I liked about the story. I I felt like it was a unique thing to give each person like a segment of film for like eight to ten minutes. We're going to tell this person's story. Cut to the main story that's happening at El Royale. Cut to. This other person's story, da, 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 cut to El Royale, cut to this person's story. And it was very much like a novel, how you'll have like alternating chapters mm-hmm. like from one different place perspectives. Yeah, like Lord of the Rings where you're like following Frodo and Sam and then suddenly you're back with the fellowship of these other guys and then it's like mm-hmm. cutting back and forth. I thought the flow 
was incredible, mm-hmm. and it always maintained tension. Like, as soon as he got back oh, yeah. to the El Royale, you're like, nope, I'm still uncomfortable. Yeah, because now you just know more information, and then... and. What that information allows you to do is it allows you to predict bad things are going to happen. Spoilers, bad bad things happen. The word bad shows up a lot, too, which made me kind of happy. I was like, that's clever. Um, but it doesn't give you enough information to tell you what exactly is going to happen. And so you're sitting there going, like, this person's going to do something stupid, or that person's going to take advantage of this and do something stupid. And you're sitting there going, like, I don't know quite, quite what's going to happen. And then it scares you because you don't see it coming out of the... Like, yeah. the worst one, though, for me was actually the the wine bottle to Jeff Bridges' face. I jumped. Scared me the most because you there's no warning. Yep. There's nothing. And you're like, because you're sitting there in the mindset of going, oh, no. Hopefully we know she's gone. Right, we know something about Jeff Bridges that's uh-huh. going to put her in danger, and she knows nothing. Right. Hopefully she just disappeared. Turns out she saw everything. Yeah, she's not stupid. Um, which but from crazy. the moment that shot happened... I didn't get as scared for the rest of the movie because I was just ready for it. I was like, something's something's right outside the frame. I can feel yeah. it. Um, but there was a couple of like super good reveals. I think the best reveal, as far as like plot twist moments, was when they at the when John Hamm gets shot and the okay. mirror breaks, mm-hmm. and then you just hear the breathing. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, no, not another one, <laughs> like two and one. Yeah. And then when it goes back and it starts the next chapter, like that right there was brilliant. Like, okay, my, my favorite, like, switch or reveal mm-hmm. or whatever you want uh, was the uh, the bellboys. I loved uh, yeah. played by was it Lewis Pullman? Mm-hmm. Miles Miller. Miles was his name. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's probably my favorite character. Not gonna interesting. Lie. So we get some really weird stuff throughout. Like he's this completely incompetent bellboy who runs this hotel by himself most of the time. Uh, sleeps in the back room. Does a ton of drugs. <laughs> uh, and has managers that basically have dirt on anyone that's been there right like he is incredibly terrified of whoever runs it uh, but it's like <coughs> it's not... frank sinatra <laughs> what jokes the hotel is based on the actual cal neva hotel that was owned what? by frank sinatra did not know that there's a lot of cool easter eggs about this including the film about who's mm-hmm. on the film and like yeah other yeah, stuff. yeah yeah so it's okay we'll have this to, is a we'll fun to thing to, to research yeah. uh we are like 15 20 minutes in um so when it flips and mm-hmm. suddenly you realize oh what the I maintenance the closet weakest, yeah well what the maintenance closet oh yes like they give yeah. him a title card too uh-huh. because the whole movie you spend the time thinking that it's about just the guests yes but he gets a title card too which i thought was very interesting and it bumps him up like as far as character from like you thought he was going to be a signed character to this just there to die or something yeah and then it bumps him up to this equal and you're like he's no longer a pawn yeah which and i loved uh because i because it inverts his the power dynamic of Mm -hmm. like him whimpering all this time and like wanting to get out etc and it's not because he's scared it's because he knows that he could he could be he's afraid of himself right he knows that he could be the one to do the bad things that he fears right yeah yeah he he is a kid desiring absolution um 
who can't bear himself to do one more thing because his whole life since he's gotten back from the war, he's been running from those bad things. And now he's surrounded by those bad things at the job that he's at. And now he's literally in this climax of bad things going to hell. And he just doesn't want to do it anymore. Like that's all he, he doesn't even care if he dies. He just doesn't want to die with the guilt complex that he Mm -hmm. has. Um, and all that baggage, which is totally understandable, but they don't reveal that until that very last couple minutes. And it was crazy when suddenly he goes on the killing spree and you're like, did not see that coming. Well, she asked him like, mm-hmm. how many people have you killed? And he's like 243 or something like that. He's like 123. And then the, your first thought is like, he's been killing people at the hotel. Right, and then they flash back, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this poor guy's gone to war, and like now I know why he's on like drugs, back, and yeah. he's just trying to forget things." Yeah, poor kid. Yeah, <laughs> and you're just like, "Oh, <laughs> okay, that's the most normal guy here. <laughs> Not that's the most, strong... the second most normal guy okay. here." <laughs> um, I, I so I thought that was my favorite twist. The thing I will say about this 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 movie could have been. 10 minutes longer, and this is what where I want that 10 minutes to be. Mm. I actually want to know just, not everything, just more about the hotel. Because I feel like the hotel is definitely its own character. Mm-hmm. And the, and you talked about title, people getting title cards. Title cards go to everyone, but the hotel gets the title of right. the film. It's its own character. And these people are just being moved around within it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the history of the hotel is never really revealed. Like, the people who own it, the people who do the things. There's a couple mysteries that are left open, which part of me just respects the fact that the filmmaker just decided, you know, that's not necessary, Mm -hmm. and then left it out, because often these days, either you get people that try to set that up on purpose, Mm -hmm. mystery at the end of the movie, or they just see fit to tell you every single detail they can possibly get about the backstory. Mm. So I can appreciate discretion, but yeah, I want to know who's managing this place. And I want to know what happened to the guy that that ruined the heist for the brothers, killed one of the brothers, and then just disappears without yeah. looking for the money. Or, like, or looks for it and something else happened to him. Right. Like, And I feel like this whole movie almost makes it seem like there's a greater plot going on behind the scenes. Uh-huh. But then it turns out that everything's supposedly random. And I always kind of... Like, I thought there was going to be a bit more of a kind of like a connection, if yeah. you will. Uh, I don't know if you thought, thought about this, but there is a, I don't know, it's not a continuity error, but in some type of error uh, in the film. In the first scene, actually, with mm-hmm. Nick Offerman getting killed. You know what it is? The camera is in place of the mirror. Right. And blood gets splattered onto the camera. Lens, mm-hmm. bullet pellets from the shotgun should have gone through his body if that is what's happening, and gone through the glass. There should have been glass breaking in that shot. Yes, but I don't. F- and I know I we think, don't get it, but I think it should have been. Yeah, but I think I think hmm, I can understand why I didn't. I'll just say that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have it, gone either way, but I understand why it didn't, right? Because it would have, it would have kind of, of, it would have kind of spoiled a little bit about exactly how the the reveals of the the secret passageway and things like that take mm-hmm. place. 
And also, I don't think that that camera was meant to be Miles's camera. I think no, that that I was just think supposed it's to be the mirror, right? Like the yeah, the the observation of this. Speaking thing. of, like, I don't really have too much bad to say about this movie, but what I will say is that I really do appreciate. I, I was actually talking in the car on the way to this movie. We, I went to see it with a bunch of friends, and we're the mm-hmm. only people in the theater. Um, so we were talking about how movies these days spend a lot of time on close-ups. Um, mm-hmm. And the wide shot has become kind of a lost art, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, which is really annoying because I like to understand where I am in the scene and like yeah. w- spatial relationships, where people are, what's going on, which is why I can appreciate Spielberg for, you know, his, even his later movies, I'm not too much of a it's fan of. boring, but. But his style is always good and you always understand exactly what's going on. And yeah. the way that he does it is his, he has wide shots everywhere, but he moves the camera so you never get bored with the, with the camera. This movie kind of takes the classical approach. You have wide shots that either don't move or move very slowly on Dolly's very specific purpose movement. And it's a lot like uh, you were mentioning David Fincher does a lot of that kind of stuff yeah. where the, the camera... He never uh, Almost never uses right, like Right, like... Gone Girl had no handheld, um, and then Social Network had one shot that was handheld. Like, a steady cam yeah. up the stairway, I think. Yeah, so uh, he's notorious for, for moving things very smoothly. Um, and Tarantino himself, um, while not probably as opposed to handheld as David Fincher, still prefers kind of a very stable, stable old-school cinema approach to things, especially with things like The Hateful Eight. Was, it just straight classic cinema, and Love honestly, the closest thing that I could compare bad times to is the Hateful Eight. Agreed. They're they're right next to each other in like and, my book, and the twists and the tension that's building mm-hmm. the entire time because you have multiple people stuck in one location, mm-hmm. uh, chapters, uh, like and going to hell. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that movie is the most ridiculous okay that's an aside um but highly recommend if you've never sat down and watched the three-hour epic that is uh the hateful eight it's now on netflix for your perusal it is almost a perfect western uh and i don't like westerns but i love the hateful eight i kind of like westerns sergio leone is pretty good okay but that that aside so (laughs) having this conversation about you know the faults of kind of more modern style Mm -hmm. the first thing you see in the film is a is a montage sequence of nick offerman hiding the money but the camera never moves yep and it's incredibly wide you can see his full body and the entire room room, um from the one shot and the moment the title came up i was like i'm gonna like this movie yes yes because it was not afraid to sit there and watch but also, it had a style mm-hmm. while it was happening, and I appreciated that so much. And my other like favorite moment was when um, Darlene decides to help uh, Father Jeff Flint Bridget. dock yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, during the singing. And yes, the hammering of the, the singing and the hammering sequence, so and that camera just rotating, and like you're getting yeah. all these looks at the three uh-huh. people there. That sequence is my favorite part of the movie i think just because technically flawless like the editing and the the camera movement never takes you out heightens the tension and you still know where everybody is what everybody's doing what everybody can and cannot see which is hard to do especially in a situation 
with just the physical setup that you have there. And also the performances during that were amazing. Mm-hmm. She's a great singer. Um, Everything. That, there's, there is so much right with this film. I would say that it is probably the best film that we've seen since awards season of earlier this year. Yeah. Like, I can't think of anything else that we've watched that we've... Like, cinematically excellent. Yeah. As this, no. I, I can't think of anything. I mean, Mission Impossible was fun, but it's not a great, perfect film like this. No, is. and it's not really to be considered in the same category. Right. Mission Impossible is going to get a nod for sound design and maybe visual effects or something like that. Mm-hmm. This movie is going to get nods for cinematography, acting, writing, probably directing, if I had to guess. Going to get a nod for editing, I hope. Yeah. Um, like, this is, this is going to hit the big ones. And I don't think we've really had a movie. First Man will get thrown in, but probably just because of the names that are involved and their prestige. Yep. And also because I don't think we're going to have too many good offerings. Really? Are you that cold on this year's award season? Mm. I'm still hoping that a couple of the ones that, that are coming up... I um, I haven't heard anything huge from the... Uh, aw- um, not awards. Festival circuit. So nothing has no. been like, oh my gosh, this is going to be. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, the ones that I'm looking forward to are mostly uh, strange, uh, stranger, stranger kind of things. Well, yeah, like that's next year. <laughs> like Steve Carell's got a few good ones coming out. He's doing drama now, which he's very good at. He is, very and good I'm at. very excited. Ever to since Fox Catcher, everyone's like, "Oh, oh you know wait, <laughs> he's a he's actually good he's at just actor. acting." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, Fox was great too. you know, I count this a very strong entry into the into the award season. I hope so. I think it's deserving. I think it is something that would typically not be. You know, it's it's not a bio, uh, a biopic. It's not anything that's super crazy. Things like Birdman or something like that usually draws more attention. Something that is so right. This one doesn't really have a gimmick, stylistic. if you yeah. will. It's just good. But it does what it wants to do. It yeah. sets its tone, sticks with it, yeah. and it stays good. Yeah, I agree. All right, I think that's, that's, that's all. I have. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Projected Opinions podcast. Feel free to uh, like and subscribe. Um, listen to the episodes wherever you are able to get podcasts and um, follow us on Facebook if you'd like to see live streaming of our recording sessions like we are doing right now. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time.